Okay. So officially, good morning and welcome to our show today. I am coming to you live just to the west of Michael's Path of Destruction. I feel very blessed, very lucky that my area was hardly affected at all. Um, I'm in Crestview, Florida, for anybody who knows the geography over here. We were on the Weather Channel as going to be impacted, but we really weren't. I just got some wind and rain, but the town just to the east of me is still doesn't have power, and I guess I-10 is closed um, for 100 miles or so. And obviously, I'm sure you've all seen the devastation in Panama City Beach and Mexico Beach, and that's just um, about an hour, an hour east of me. So anyway, I appreciate everybody who checked in with me. And as I was saying right before we went live on here, if um, if I cut out, if we have technical difficulties, uh, you know, bear with me. I'll do my best to get back online if I'm t if I'm cut off. But so far, things are pretty good in my little in my little piece of the world of of the Florida Panhandle. Okay. Alrighty. Today's topic is about creating a seller communication plan for the listing to contract period of a seller transaction of a listing. I assume we all know that communication from the listing agent is one of, if not the biggest complaint home sellers have about their agents, and I can certainly vouch for that in my own listing experiences. Now, sure, putting a house on the market might just be another day in the office for us, but it's a huge deal for an individual homeowner who has entrusted the sale of their property to someone they may not know well or even at all. And also keep in mind they've agreed to pay a breathtaking amount of money to that person. Now, like it or not, right or wrong, most home sellers are not excited about paying that amount of money, and most don't understand or appreciate why real estate fees are as high as they are. So they come into your relationship prepared to be critical and even disappointed, and unfortunately they are often not disappointed in that assumption. Now, most home sellers have never done this before, or they've only done it a time or two in their lives, so they really don't know what to expect. But again, selling their home is a huge deal to them, and they have every right to feel that it's at least important to their listing, to their listing agent, especially since I assume part of every listing agent's pitch is that it is important to them and that the seller will certainly, surely be tickled pink with the service they receive. I assume that most agents don't go into their listing appointments with what is unfortunately the truth often, that once the sign goes in the yard, the seller won't hear from the agent again unless the seller calls him until, let's say, maybe six weeks later when it's time to come out and, and push for a price reduction. Or maybe the seller hears from the agent's assistant from time to time, which is slightly better, but is still likely to be a disappointment for the seller. And here's the thing. A disappointed seller is a difficult seller, and we're going to talk more about that here in a little bit. But there's more. <laughs> a disappointed seller is also telling everyone he knows how disappointed he is. All of his friends and family know, know his house is on the market, right? And they're asking him, how's it going? And if the seller hasn't heard a peep from his agent and he's kind of bummed about that, if he's noticed it, which trust me he has, he's probably going to share that disappointment and he's not going to be kind about it. Now on the flip side, if your seller is happy with you, if he's thrilled with your attention and your service, he's going to share that news with his friends and family as well. 
and that can only, of course, lead to good things. And here's the thing. It's really not that hard to make a seller happy, at least when it comes to communication. So to paraphrase that old commercial, the opportunity for a happy seller is a terrible thing to waste. Seriously, to squander the chance to create a very satisfied past client when you have the chance to do that is silly, maybe even stupid. So that's one reason to implement a strong seller communication plan so that your seller doesn't complain about you around the water cooler, which, to be honest, to my way of thinking, is reason enough to implement a strong seller communication plan. But there are so many other good reasons. I came up with nine reasons to communicate with your seller. Number one, I already mentioned, it makes them happy. And that's a good thing. Okay? Never underestimate the power of a happy seller. Okay? And that's enough reason to do it. But I have eight more. Number two, it keeps you engaged and focused on your listing. If you're communicating with your seller on a regular basis, on a planned basis even, then you're going to be more interested and more focused on your listing instead of just sort of forgetting about it and suddenly two or three or four weeks go by. We're going to talk a lot about that. Number three, if you're communicating with your seller, it's going to ward off problems before they become big problems. Okay? Number four, the things that you're communicating with your seller about, most of them that I'm going to share with you today, they need to be discussed. They're things that you need to be talking with them about. Okay? For the most part, yeah, I mean, it's nice to have excuses to contact your seller, but that's not what the show is all about is coming up with 25 excuses to contact your seller. There's actually things you need to be talking to your seller about. All right, we'll talk more about that. Number five, a happy seller is a cooperative seller, and an unhappy seller is much more likely to balk at your suggestions. And as you're going through the listing process, through the listing um, experience, hopefully you are going to have suggestions for your seller. And if they are not happy with you, they may not pay attention to your suggestions. But if they're happy to, if they're happy with like you're on the same team, then they are much more likely to comply with your suggestions, which is obviously a good thing. Once, number six, once you've implemented a strong seller communication plan, if you do it for one, you're going to feel compelled to do it for everyone going forward. Sort of like you set your bar higher. You did this. Let's say that you come out of today's show and you're all excited about doing a good seller communication plan. You're going to start right away. You will feel bad if you don't do it for every seller thereafter, which leads me to number seven. You'll feel much more confident in your value as a listing agent. You'll feel better about your fee if you don't feel comfortable with that. You'll feel better when you're talking to people that you are a good listing agent and that your clients are happy with you. Okay, number eight, because you're paying attention to your listings, your listings are more likely to sell. How's that? And number nine, as we're going to talk about, if you're committed to communicating with your sellers, if you've made the commitment to them and to yourself, 
We're going to talk about making it to them. But if you've made the commitment, guess what? You're going to have to find things to talk about. You're going to have to find things to communicate about. And that kind of encapsulates everything we've just talked about, okay? It keeps you engaged. It keeps you focused. It wards off problems before they become problems. The things that you're communicating with your seller about need to be discussed. All right? Um, and again, if you're paying attention to your listings, they're much more likely to sell. So those are some good reasons to come up with a strong seller communication plan. And just an aside here, I, I need to comment that everything I'm going to share with you today comes from my experience both as a listing agent but also as a seller. In fact, maybe more so as a seller. I have, I, you know, I've had rental properties around the country and I have sold them and thankfully I only have one left and I am so hoping I'm going to be selling it next month, um, although it was in the path of the hurricane. So anyway, I've got to figure out if there's any damage to it. Anyway, sorry. Um, where was I? Anyway, the communication that I have gotten from my listing agents through the years, with two exceptions, has been abysmal. Um, I've done whole shows on this, and I promised myself that in today's show, I wasn't going to do a trash the listing agent bit, which I could easily, but I'm not going to. However, just know that as a seller, we notice. We notice when our real estate agent doesn't communicate with us. And you know what we think? We think they don't care, that they're incompetent, and we're not happy. Okay? And communication, you know, the interesting thing about listings versus buyers, listings it's, on one hand, it's very easy to make a seller happy. On the other hand, it's also very easy to disappoint them um, because there's a lot going on. But if you commit to good communication, that's going to take you so far toward having an undisappointed seller even when things happen that are outside of the scope of communication. So, I mean, you know, if let's say that you go on the market with a, a listing, there's kind of this sweet spot in there where you hope it sells. Now, I'm not talking to those of you in these crazy sellers markets, but in a balanced market, you kind of hope it doesn't sell in the first 48 hours because then you're going to get accused of it being underpriced and maybe you didn't earn your, you know, earn your keep. But you don't want it sitting there six months later either. So I always felt like it was ideal if it sold in a, a week to three weeks because then you've done your stuff, you've proven your worth, but it didn't sell the day it went on the market, and you're not sitting on it six months later, and everybody's all freaked out. So in that regard, the more happy your seller is with you, if it does drag out a little bit longer than it's comfortable, they're a lot less likely to be upset. Something I alluded to back in the nine reasons to communicate with your seller is if you've made the commitment to communicate with your seller on a regular basis. Make that commitment to the seller, not just to yourself. Don't just say, yeah, I'm going to do that. Make the commitment to your seller. Now, what I'm going to probably talk about later is how exactly to do that, but basically what I would suggest is when you're telling your seller what to expect when on the market, just let them know. Even if there's nothing going on, even if there's not that much going on, you will hear from me at least once a week, probably on Monday. Okay? Or whatever day you want to do. But 
commit out loud to your seller that they will hear from you at least once a week, that they are always welcome to contact you and you will get back with them right away, but that you will reach out to them at least once a week. Once you've said that out loud to them, guess what? you got to do it and you got to come up with something to say, and that's what I'm going to help you with today. Oh, speaking of finding something to say, if you have a listing on the market and you're the listing agent, there should be something to talk about. Even if you're sitting on the market four or five, six months later, there should be something to talk about. And people say, well, I don't know what to talk about. Well, I'm going to help you with that, but you should be working on your listing. So there should be something to talk about. And so the excuse of, well, you know, there's just nothing going on, no, that, that's not good. That's not good enough. That's why some listings sit on the market forever, because nobody's doing anything. So, again, commit to talk to your seller at least once a week. Now, something that you've probably heard me say and you noticed was on the survey is I believe that a listing agent should communicate with their seller at least every day or for the first week, at least for the first week every single day, preferably into the second week every single day at least three times in that first week, but I really think it ought to be every day. I really do. But when I I get some kickback from that, there's people saying, I don't want to sit on the phone with my seller all day every day. I don't want to do that. They don't want to do that. What if I over-communicate with them? What if they get irritated? Well, a couple things. First, I'm not saying you have to pick up the phone and have a long, juicy gossip session. Communicate. That can be an email. That can be a text. Um, Yeah, sometimes it needs to be a phone call. It can be a fax. Just communicate with your seller every day. does not have to be on the phone. Speaking of, though, here's something I would highly encourage everyone to add to your listing appointment, add to your repertoire. Ask your seller how they prefer to be communicated with. Are they text people? Are they Facebook people? Are they phone call people? Are they email people? That doesn't mean that you're, that's the only thing. That's the only way you're going to communicate with them. I believe with all my heart there need to be phone calls. Even if everybody hates phone calls, there need to be phone calls. But don't fall into the trap that I've done myself and I know other real estate agents do is they say, you know, I'm an email person and my seller just doesn't respond to emails. They don't look at their email. Well, guess what? You're not going to fix them. You're not going to change them. If they are not email people, What are they? Are they text people? Are they phone people? Are they Facebook people? Are they smoke signal people? Do you have to go over to their house and knock on their door to have conversations? Whatever it is, respect and take advantage of how they want to be communicated with and ask the question and note the answer. Okay, you may hate the phone. If they love the phone, guess what? You're going to talk to them on the phone. Okay? That will eliminate a lot of communication hassles. I've had clients, I was an email person, that was my thing. And I had clients who were not email people. And it was so frustrating to me that I would send out these beautiful emails and they'd never get responded to. And not only that, the sellers would say, I never told them that. I'm like, no, I did. I sent you the email. Oh, I never checked my email. Okay, so don't fall into that. Communicate with them the way they want to be communicated with. Okay, um, as part of the registration process for this show, I asked you to do a survey for me. And um, some of you did it, enough to give me a little bit of good data to go off of. But 
I'm, for the next probably, I don't know, half an hour or so, I'm going to be referring to the items that were in that survey because basically I was asking you, what do you do now to communicate with your seller? And I came up with, I think it was 16, 17 things. What do you do now to communicate with your seller? And then the second question was, how important do you feel these things are to keeping your seller happy? To, you know, are these things that you need to be communicating with them about? So I, I very much appreciate the feedback. And as you may guess, as you may have surmised, the items on that first question, do you do this, are things I think you ought to do. I don't think I put anything on there that I, you know, don't think is, is necessary to do. So I'm going to go through all of those things and explain kind of what I mean, why I think it's important, give you some ideas about how to do it, um, and hopefully, hopefully that'll be helpful for you. So, um, but let me do a quick overview of the survey results first. Um, so the first question, let me hit refresh, make sure I have the most recent data. Okay, the first question, well, following is a list of services a listing agent might or might not provide his or her clients. Please check the services you typically provide and check all that apply. So 100% of you pursue and deliver feedback from showings. That surprised me, made me happy. Okay, there weren't any other 100%. Which was the next highest? Um, Send the, send the MLS lister to the seller and ask for feedback. 86% of you do that. That was another surprise for me. Good job. Um, hold an open house and share feedback from visitors. 82% of you said you do that. Cool. The lowest one was ask your seller for feedback on how you're doing. Only 20% of you said that you do that. We're going to talk about that. Another low one was offer to take your seller out to see the competition. 34% of you said that you do that. So, And then everything else, obviously, was, was in between. And I'm going to go through each one of these so you don't have to remember exactly what they were. Interestingly, on the second question where I asked you how important do you feel these things are, most of you thought they were all kind of important. Um, the only one, well, the lowest one, which was still a 3.6 out of 5 was ask for feedback on how you're doing. People didn't think that was too terribly important. Well, I'm going to change your mind on that. I think, I hope. So, stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for that. Okay, so I'm just going to go through the list in the order that they were in the survey and just give you some talking points. First of all, do you send the co send the seller a copy of the home brochure before going to print? 42% of you said that you do, which means whatever the opposite of that means, said that you didn't. What's that, 58%? Now, I got some commentary on this and the next one, which is to send the MLS listing, of people saying, wait a minute, why would I do that, or here's why I don't do that. Well, here's why I think sending a copy of the home brochure before you print it is a good idea. First of all, um, if there are any typos in there, which hopefully there aren't, but if there are any typos in there, you really want to catch it before you, you know, you print out 100 color copies. And not that this is why you're sending it to your seller. You could send it to someone else in the office and have them take a look at it. But, you know, it's, I just think it's a good idea to always get some other eyeballs on anything that you're going to spend any money on and that's going to go out under your name. 
Um, but maybe one of the biggest reasons to do this, there's kind of two big reasons, I think, but one of the biggest reasons is this is a very good excuse, if you want to call it that, to contact your seller right off the bat and show them that you're working for them. And you know what? If this listing, if you're in one of these markets where the listing sells quickly and your seller might be wondering, you know, what you did for all of that money, if you're working on a full-color brochure and you send it to them to take a look at before you print, then at least they know you meant to do it, which isn't a bad thing. And then maybe, you know, it goes under contract, you never even do the color brochure but at least you meant to do it. You were working on it. Um, now, how do you handle suggestions if somebody doesn't like your brochure? This is the biggest obstacle or the biggest um, objection, sorry, that I get from people is saying, well, I know what I'm doing. I know how to do a home brochure. I really don't want the seller's input on that. And, hey, I, I'm with you, but that attitude isn't going to serve you well. Um, the seller may have some silly suggestions, but their suggestions might be good, and it's their home. So remember, this is their home. You're marketing it. This is an experience I wish I'd had with real estate agents that represented me, is that they actually did a color brochure. But I can guarantee you if they'd done one, I would have wanted input on it. Okay? Um, so it's showing the seller the respect that you do respect, their opinions. Now, if they have some silly suggestions or if they want to be too wordy or they want to mention the custom dog door or something, you can have the conversation with them that, you know, that basically when we put out a color brochure, our goal is to get people to want to see the house. We don't have to tell them everything. The brochure is not going to sell the house. It's going to inspire them to, to want to see it. And that's really our only goal is to get people inside. Now, I've heard suggestions put out there to not put the price or not put the number of bedrooms or something like that, which makes the phone ring. I disagree with all my heart. Um, I think the price needs to be on that brochure, and I think the pertinent information um, should be there. Now, if you want to leave the bedrooms off, okay, fine, but the price needs to be on there. I think it's um, not serving your client because you want the phone to ring for you so that you can convert this buyer into, you know, to another to another property. So um, people want to know the price. If I pull a brochure out of a brochure box and the price isn't on there, unless I know this neighborhood intimately, I have no idea what the price is. I want to know what the price is. Okay? Put it on there. Okay. Um, and then this, okay, the second, do you do this? And that is to send the MLS listing to the seller and ask the seller for feedback. 84% of you said that you do this, and I'm pleased as punch that you do. Um, if you do, keep doing it. Why? Well, there's a lot of good reasons for this, and this is probably a little more important um, than doing the home brochure, but, you know, hey, do both. Okay. First of all, and I learned this in a legal class taught by the late, great Oliver Frascona, is that the listing has a lot of information in there that you could be held liable for. And so you really want your seller's approval on what you've put in that listing description. Because if you put something in there that's not true, you thought you heard the seller say it, or you dreamed it, or you know, you want your seller to have blessed that MLS description, that MLS listing, so that if something comes back to bite you that you got wrong, 
you can say, hey, you blessed it. Okay, now I'm sure there's a million examples of that, but yeah, I think, you know, ideally get the seller's signature on it, that they looked at it and they said, yeah, everything's good. Um, an example out of Sell with Soul, when I was selling, or I, my buyer bought a condo that had homeowner's fees, and the homeowner's fees listed on the MLS listing were wrong. Um, so we got to the closing table, they were much higher than the listing agent had put in the description. I ended up paying them, but I believe that the listing agent easily could have been held liable for that, and hopefully if the buyer had looked at it, that they would have um, caught it and said, oh, wait a minute. You know. Now, another thing is if you have a property on the market a long time, this is not a bad idea to send the MLS listing to them three or four months down the road and just make sure everything's still good. Okay. Um, again, like I said in the first one, Sending them the MLS listing to look at gives you something to communicate about, something good to communicate about, and it lets them know that the property is now on the market in case they, they weren't sure. Uh, the seller, again, feels that you respect his opinion. They're probably going to have things that you want to change. I would say respect them when you can. If there's something they want to change and they feel strongly about it, it's their house. Now, you know, that's kind of a depend that's kind of a fine line but don't discount it automatically because you're smarter than the seller is and you know what to put in the listing they may very well have some good ideas even if their ideas aren't super good go ahead and show them the respect of doing your best to include it in in the listing okay so next one um oh here was before i go on here was a comment that i got on this this part of the um, this part of the survey on this item. Okay, I always send the I always send the seller a copy of the listing, but I don't ask for feedback on it. But given the large number of listings with really bad pictures, no room measurements, etc., I find it hard to believe that things like seeing the brochures and listing in advance are all that important to them. Um, okay, so that was a really interesting perspective. Is that a lot of the listings out there, a lot of the home brochures out there are dreadful, aren't they? They're terrible. The pictures are bad, the there's typos, the information is hard to read, it's hard to decipher, it's incorrect, it's inaccurate. So this person is saying, I don't think sellers really care. Let me, let me contradict that. I wonder the same thing. Don't the sellers look at this stuff? Aren't they, I mean, really? Are they really letting these pictures get out there? I will tell you from my own personal experience that I had a listing once that the listing agent's pictures were terrible. I asked that they either be retaken or that I could take them and send. The listing agent said, sure, and it never happened. Um, so do, do these people not care? I don't know. Maybe they don't care. It's just hard for me to believe. But um, I believe they do care. And so they may just be frustrated because their listing agent um, you know, really isn't paying attention to them. I think they care. If they don't care, they should. And, you know, this is, I believe it's good service to send it over to them. So, you know, you're better than the average real estate agent. You're better than these agents who are doing a lousy job. And you know what? You might as well send it over and get that feedback. Get, you know, them saying, hey, this is great. I love it. Good job. Okay? It'll make you feel good. All right. Um, next item. Do you... 
preview the new competition and report your findings. 58% of you said that you do this. If previewing is allowed in your market, I think 100% of you need to be previewing the new competition as it comes up. Um, personally, whenever I had a listing on the market, one of you know one of my listings. I did care about it. I was curious what the new competition looked like. It wasn't just something that I did because it was my job. I wanted to know because I was engaged, because I was interested. So if you're not previewing the new competition and previewing is allowed in your market, why aren't you? I would think you'd want to. And, of course, if you do, this gives you something to talk to your seller about. But what's more, you need to know. You need to know that new listing that just came on the market around the corner that's about the same size, you know, and it's 20000 more or 20000 less. You need to know why. This is information you need as the listing agent, and, of course, it gives you something to communicate with your seller about um, one way or another, whether it's better than yours or not as good as yours. Okay, the next item. Do you send links to your online marketing to your seller? 63% of you said that you do. Um, Again, I don't know why 100% of you wouldn't do this. Why would you not send links to your online marketing? It'll take you all of three minutes. Um, even if it's the same thing that's been fed out of the MLS and it's going to all these different places it goes, send the links. That's impressive. Um, you can do it via email. You don't have to have a conversation about it. The seller may come back and find some mistakes in it, and then hopefully you'll be able to fix those. But um, if you blog about your listing, if you do anything – to market your listing online that's over and above the normal feeds, by all means, send that. Okay, a lot of real estate agents don't. If you do it, um, it's I mean, it's great that you're doing it, and you also want to tell them about it. This is an easy one to do. 100% ought to be doing that. Okay, pursue and deliver feedback from showings. Well, here we go. 100% of you said that you do that. How awesome is that? You know, it's just so, it's always been interesting to me. To me, it's a no-brainer that when you have a listing and somebody looks at it that you pursue, you pursue feedback. And I was stunned when I got out, in, out of the practice of real estate and got out into the world where I was listening to what other real estate agents do, that so many of them are against providing feedback for a variety of reasons, but they all to me sound like laziness, but... You know, the reason of, well, the only, the only feedback I need to give them is whether or not I write a contract. Okay. Um, the only, let's see, what's the other one? Um, it's not my job to tell the listing agent what's wrong with the house. Oh, come on. I mean, come on. Now, that's an issue about for the other agent on the other side, but for the listing agent, ask for feedback. Now, there are ways to ask for feedback that I think you're going to get a better chance of actually getting the feedback, but your seller wants to know. You would want to know. If your home's on the market, wouldn't you want to know what people say about it? And for that matter, as the listing agent, don't you want to know? Aren't you curious? Don't you, aren't you sitting there waiting for your first showing so that you can get feedback on it? I mean, I, I would think you would be, so pursue it. Now, a couple tips on pursuing and getting feedback. Um, first of all, now keep in mind, I've been out of real estate coming up on 10 years now, so the technology of it may be different from, from what I did. But first of all, I don't like the forms that ask a bunch of very specific questions. 
Um, I, I don't think you get much useful out of those. So, you know, the forms that your showing service automatically sends out that says, you know, how do you how do you think it's priced, high, low, just right? Um, what do you think the property will eventually sell for? Um, how did you feel it was decorated on a scale of one to five, whatever? I think you just send a nice note, make a nice phone call, whatever you do in your market, and just ask, ask an open-ended question. Hey, thanks for previewing or thanks for showing my property at this. Any thoughts that you and your buyer had that you'd like to share? Period. And I think you'll get more helpful information. What was the other thing I wanted to? Oh. Set expectations with your seller fairly low on this. I always told my sellers that we would get, I would pursue feedback from everybody, but we would expect about 25% return, that 75% of the other agents wouldn't respond, but, you know, I would do my best. I typically got about 50% response rate, so it was a, you know, under-promise, over-deliver situation. And so my sellers were pleased when we got more feedback than, than we actually thought we would. So, but yeah, definitely, and it sounds like I'm preaching to the choir here, so that's awesome, is definitely pursue feedback. Okay, hold an open house and share feedback from visitors with your seller. 79% of you say that you do this. Excellent. So here's the cool thing about open houses and when we're talking about seller communication. So I'm not going to talk about why you should do open houses. I think you should, but as far as doing them from a seller communication perspective, Think of all the things doing an open house gives you to talk about with your seller, especially that first week. Okay, so one, hey, do you want to do an open house this Sunday? I have an opening. Okay, that's something to talk about. Um, two, if you go out and you preview ahead of your open house, you can share those findings, you know, with your seller if they seem interested. Okay. Um, Obviously, checking in with your seller on the Saturday before, saying, hey, just confirming that we're doing the open house. I'm going to put up the open Saturday rider. Uh, just, you know, if you could be gone from the house at 1 o'clock and do these things for me, and, you know, I'll give you a call when I'm done and I'm leaving, and here's what to expect. And then, you know, do your open house. Leave them a nice note. That counts as communication. Uh, send them a text when you're leaving the house and everything's closed down. And then obviously you can touch base with them later that day or the following morning with feedback from, from the open house. So it gives you all kinds of things to talk to your seller about. So it's almost worth doing just for the communication opportunities. Um, let's see. Next one, provide market update reports to sellers at least every two weeks. 58%, 59% of you said that you do that. This is one of the things that's in the VIP lounge is a sample of a market update report, a market update letter. So if you go in there, you can take a look at that. I did this, and it was one of those things where I set my bar that I had to do it, and so I had to do it. Now, frankly, I didn't get a lot of feedback from my sellers on this as much as I felt like I should. I felt like this was really interesting information, and my sellers – I don't remember getting a lot of feedback on it, but once I had committed to doing it, I couldn't not do it. And I will tell you, it was helpful to me. Even if my sellers didn't care, which I still have to believe they did, but even if they didn't care, it was good for me to be taking a look at the market every two weeks. And then obviously, if something significant was happening, that everything was under contract except my listing, everything had a price reduction except my listing, Maybe there were 
15 new listings that had come on the market. These are things I need to know and obviously give me, give me things to talk to my seller about. Um, so market update report doesn't have to take that long. It really doesn't, but I recommend that you do that every two weeks. All right, um, related to that, do you update your seller as competing listings go under contract, reduce their price, or are withdrawn? 79% of you said that you do, so good. Now, I'm not sure. I'm guessing you can probably set something up to notify you every day if there's a change in the market area that you designate, so I would recommend doing that. If not, just go in and look. You know, go in and manually look every few days and see what's going on. And if there's something that you need to tell your seller about before your two-week market update, then do that. However, comma, and this relates to this item as well as the one before, don't use this information as an opportunity to badger your seller. Don't go out previewing. Don't do your market report. Don't use this as the opportunity to press your seller for a price reduction. They won't want to hear from you. I mean, that's kind of interesting. Is your seller wants to hear from you, but if every time they hear from you it's bad news or they're scolding or they're lecturing or you're lecturing, they're not going to want to hear from you, and they'll wish that you communicate less. So keep in mind you're on the same team as your seller, and yes, if they're overpriced, if there are improvements they need to make, then yes, you can communicate that, but don't make that the reason you, you reach out to your seller, especially after going previewing or doing your market update. I can promise you as a seller, when a listing agent gets high and mighty and tells me that I'm overpriced or tells me that I want too much or that my house isn't in that great a condition, I don't like them very much. Maybe they're right. I don't know. But don't look for those opportunities every chance you get. You can have that conversation and you can have it tactfully and respectfully without making your seller feel like they're in trouble and that they don't want to hear from you. All right. Check in after the first few showings to make sure that the seller is comfortable with the showing process. In Denver, we had showing services and they worked beautifully, but still, you want to have the conversation with your seller beforehand as to what to expect from the showings, and then check in with them, because, you know, sometimes they get very complicated. Well, you need to call my secretary, who will then page me, and then I'll page my, you know, my husband, and then he'll make sure that this and that, and so, especially if you've got complicated showing instructions, you're going to want to check in with your seller after the first few showings, make sure that it went smoothly. Just because you didn't hear anything doesn't mean that it did. So check in. They may also go, you know what, we don't really need to be notified. We're never home. If it's between 8 and 5, just go ahead and set it. Anything after 5, we need to know. All right. So they may want to change it, but, again, something to talk with them about. And this is a service you really need to be providing. Okay. Um, some of you mentioned in the comments that you actually set the showings, and so this is kind of a non-issue. And, gosh, I would hate to set showings, but all righty then. More power to you. Oh, I had a just an aside, a little story on this is I had a friend of mine list his house with me and I was under the impression, I'm not sure why, I was under the impression that he knew everything there was to know about selling a house. And we were friends, so we kind of talked about real estate sometimes. And I thought he had sold several houses in the past. And so I didn't give him the blow by blow, especially of how showings worked. Well, after the first few showings, he called me enraged. 
about a variety of things that he didn't understand about how showings worked. And it made me realize, I mean, he had a bit of an anger management problem, but um, it also made me realize that don't make assumptions that your sellers understand how it works, um, especially if someone's going to be coming into their home. You know, that's pretty invasive. Make sure your seller understands what that's going to entail and what that's going to look like. The things he was upset about was he thought that I would be there. He thought that I should be at every showing. And I said, no, that's not going to happen. Um, I can't remember what else. There were two other things, and to me they were obvious, and to him they weren't. And so I should have had that conversation. Okay. Um, offer to take your seller out to see the competition. 42% of you said you do this. Frankly, I offered that, and no one ever took me up on it. Very rarely did a seller take me up on it. Where I think it might be valuable is if a new listing comes up in the area, it's just a nice excuse to say, hey, there's a new listing, you know, at this, you know, right around the corner from you. I'm going to go take a look at it. Do you want to come with me? They may or may not. If you go during the day, they probably can't. But you made the offer, you reached out, and then you can contact them later and say, hey, just wanted to let you know the house is not nearly as nice as yours. Don't worry about it. It's not competition for us. Which, by the way, speaking of communication, Look for those opportunities, as I just alluded to or I just explained. You know, don't look for opportunities to badger your seller. Look for opportunities to compliment them. So if you go out and look at new competition and it's not as nice as theirs, tell them. Okay? If you get good feedback from a showing, tell them. Make sure that the most of the time you're contacting your seller, you have some good news. You have some, something they're going to enjoy hearing so that they smile when they, they see your phone number on their, their ID or their text messages. Um, okay. Do you contact your seller at least three times in the first week of the listing, preferably every day? Only 37% of you said that you do this. And I'm going to beg everyone to make that 100%. At least three times, preferably every day, even more than once a day. I promise you there's plenty to talk about that first week, even before you go on the market, okay? There is plenty to talk about, and the, if the seller hears from you every day that first week, maybe even that first, those first two weeks, and then after that your communication drops off, which it probably will, you will have set such an incredible, made such an incredible impression on them that that'll be hard to overcome. Now, I'm not saying go from, you know, 60 to zero. You still need to be communicating with them. But if you ever drop the ball on communication, but you've been communicating every day, they're going to be a lot more forgiving. So absolutely every day, the first week of the listing and the few days before. What is there to talk about? Well, we've hit on several of them. Review the home brochure in the MLS, schedule an open house, provide a state of the market report, which I didn't really mention, but what I would do right the day we went on the market is I would send over what I called the state of the market, which kind of sets the baseline. Here's the active competition for your home. Okay. Um, discuss the showing process, uh, provide feedback from, from showing, send links to the online marketing, um, bring over the brochures, you know, set up the brochure box, and if you're going to do special feature cards, you know, then you'll need to let your seller know that you're going to be setting up special feature cards. So there is definitely something to talk about every day that first week, preferably second. 
Um, do you check on your vacant listings at least t every 10 days and report your findings? 47% of you said that you do this. I'm guessing probably some of you have never had a, va a vacant listing or you rarely have them, but I will encourage you, if you have a vacant listing, go check it out at least every 10 days. I call it fluffing and flushing. Not only is it a great communication piece, every time you go fluffing and flushing, you're going to have something to tell your seller, either something that you took care of, something that they need to take care of, maybe even a funny story. <laughs> um, definitely it opens up communication. But every time you go to a vacant listing, there's going to be something that needs to be addressed. And so if you've got your listing on the market, you need to be addressing those things that need to be addressed. It will help the listing sell faster or sell at all. So you'll be amazed at what you'll find in a vacant house um, every 10 days. All right. Before I get to this next one, which I, I think is an interesting discussion. Okay, let's see. Why would I tell another agent what I think the house would sell for when I'm providing feedback? It seems like I'm doing their work for them. I hate that question. Um, I, yeah, I mean, the thing... I don't really mind answering the question. It doesn't really matter. And I, I don't want to have the attitude of, you know, why am I doing their job for them? Because basically you can't answer that question unless you do a CMA on it, which you're not going to do. So unless you're in a cookie-cutter neighborhood and every house is the same, personally I don't think you can answer that question intelligently. I, I mean, maybe you can, but I never could. I can't look at a house and without doing some homework say what I think the market value is. Now, yeah, if I'm out looking at a bunch of houses, I can say, you know, this one feels high or this one feels like a good deal. But um, I just, I personally, I, I, I just don't think it's real valuable information. And I don't think it's going to be, I mean, I guess what they're looking for is ammunition to give their seller as to, you know, what do you think, where do you think this thing ought to be priced? I think it's a silly question. I wouldn't include it. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. When I'm getting feedback, I want it to be valuable feedback. I just I don't want it to just do it just to say I did it and be able to compile it and give my seller a report. I just I really want talking points. I want things to to talk about maybe with the other agent and you know also also with my seller. Okay. Um, Hmm. Where did my notes go? I'm on the wrong page. There we go. Ask your seller for feedback on how you're doing. 26% or somewhere along there said that you do this. And a lot of you in the comments objected to this. And when I've, when I've suggested this before, I've gotten a lot of objection to it, is why would I do that? that I'm uncomfortable doing that. I am going to encourage you with all my heart and soul to start including this in your seller communication plan. Why? Well, why not? Okay, why not? But why? Okay, first, don't you want to know if the seller isn't happy with you, if there's something they're dissatisfied with or maybe just confused about, don't you want to know? I mean, no, you don't want to know kind of. But if it's something you can fix, don't you want to know? Okay? They may be confused about something that you go, oh, no, this is the deal. And they go, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad I asked. Okay? But here's the thing that's 
well, two, two things. One, if you ask the question, it's showing a vulnerability, but also a confidence that you really want to know. You're not afraid of the answer, and you may get yourself some testimonials out of it. What if they rave about your communication? I love how you communicated with me every day that first week. It made me feel so much better. Or I was so impressed that you did an open house the very first weekend. Thank you. Um, I really appreciate you reaching out for feedback from the buyer agents. You're very likely to actually get some good feedback that you can use in your testimonial file. Because if you reach out and you ask people how you're doing, they're probably going to come back with something nice. Probably. And if they don't, again, don't you want to know about that? They're probably not going to respond and trash you. And if they do, we got a problem, we need to fix it. Okay? So I think about myself as a seller. And when I've been represented by listing agents, I think I would have wet my pants if one of them would have actually expressed an interest in whether or not I was happy. It would have gone a long way toward me being happy. And trust me, I really wasn't happy with most of these agents, but if they had expressed a desire to know how I was feeling, an interest in how I'm feeling, and then let's say I gave them construction constructive criticism and they didn't you know, get all pissy with me, it would have gone, it would have done a lot for our relationship. So I'm going to encourage you not to feel intimidated by the question, not to feel that it's unprofessional, not to feel that it's belittling, but that it's a courteous, professional, confident thing to do. Okay, so I really hope that you'll consider doing that. Um, no one's ever done it with me, and I'll be honest, I didn't do it either, but it occurred to me, and now I wish I had. And I think I would have gotten a lot of good feedback because I know I was a good listing agent. So, especially if you've been communicating the heck with your, you know, the heck out of your seller, they're probably going to give you good feedback on that. Okay, here was a comment that I got on that. So, I'm not sure I can say that I specifically ask for feedback on how I'm doing during the pre-listing process. I always ask them if they're not happy with me or my performance to please tell me. And if a listing isn't selling, I remind them that I won't be offended if they want to give another agent a try. No one has ever taken me up on that, but I feel that giving them an easy out is the best way to know if they're happy or not. Um, I would agree with this, but I don't see the opposition to just asking. You know, telling somebody up front, hey, if you're not happy with me, let me know, they're not going to do it. They're not going to pick up the phone and say, I'm not happy with you. Yes, you gave them permission to do it, but they're not going to do it. And chances are they're happy with you. Okay? If, you know, if you're coming at it with this attitude, they probably are happy with you. And I love the idea, you know, if the listing isn't selling, to give them the out, to say, you know, if you feel like I'm just not the right woman for the job, um, I understand and, you know, and if we need to part ways, I totally understand. Giving them that out, 99% of the time they won't take it. If they want to take it, they want it out anyway, and it may be better to let them go. So excellent. That's great. Okay, last three real quick. Make sure the brochure box stays full. 47% of you do that. Um, yeah, I mean, do that. And if it's gotten to the point where the brochures, nobody's taking them, and they're just getting wet, then pull the brochure box. Um, but if people are taking the brochures, and you keep providing them, the seller's going to notice that, and they're going to like it, and it gives you an excuse to run by there and check on the box. So do that. 
Um, contact the seller at least once a week after week one, maybe week two. 68% of you said you do that. We talked about that earlier. Go ahead and make the commitment that you're going to do it, and then you're going to have to, and you're going to have to go look for things to talk to them about. Update your CMA four to six weeks in and meet to discuss. 42% of you said that you do that, and some of you said there's no way the house is going to take that long to sell, and we've been talking. I would go ahead and put it in your plan to schedule, I can't remember what I called it, um, State of the Union or something, to go ahead and tell them 45 days in, if the home hasn't sold, we're going to get back together, I'm going to come with a brand new CMA, and we're going to talk about why the house hasn't sold. Go ahead and tell them you're going to do it. If the house is under contract, then so what? Then you don't have to do it. If the house isn't under contract, I think you should be doing a new CMA, and I think you should be meeting with your sellers. Um, before it's three months, four months, five months. Okay, so this gives you something very specific during what is perhaps a period of that you don't really have that much to talk about is we're going to do this, we're going to talk about it, which means you're going to have to prepare for it that week ahead. So it opens up the door for conversation, and if you don't have to do it, then don't do it. But, I mean, if you're under contract, otherwise I would highly encourage you to include this in your seller communication plan. So, okay, those are the items that I think ought to go in a seller communication plan. I'm sure that you have others you'd like to add. Let me spend some time on how to make and implement your seller communication plan, and then I can get to questions. All right, so how to make and implement your plan. First, I'm going to say let's keep it simple. If you're the kind of person that likes things com complicated, take what I'm about to tell, it, tell you and you know jazz it up to your standards of complication, but I'm going to keep this very simple. Step one. Make a list of all the things you intend to do for your seller and discuss with your seller from day one, probably before day one. Um, so make your list. Really think about each item and what it's going to entail. Some of the things you're going to put on your list are going to take a little time, so make sure, for you, make sure that you plan for that and you're expecting it up to um, on the days up to and immediately after launching your listing, which is when a lot of the time-consuming things are going to be happening. For, for example, um, asking your seller for feedback on your brochure and on your MLS listing, make sure you've planned for that and that your seller is on notice that they need to get back with you promptly. Now, I'd like to take an aside here and talk about the time it will take you to do a better job communicating with your seller. It will. It will take more time to do a good job communicating with your seller if you're not doing it now. And what's more, it will take time to be doing the things that you're going to commit to doing it to doing so that you have something to talk about with your seller. Yes, it will. So yes, all of these things take time, and some of them may take a significant amount of time. Are you wondering where you're going to find all this time without breaking into your three hours of prospecting a day? I'm pretty sure you know my answer to that. It's nonsense. If you truly have to take time away from your prospecting to properly serve your seller, then bravo. I will encourage you with all my heart and soul to do that, to take time away from your, pro from your prospecting to serve your clients, specifically your sellers, because taking exceptional care of your clients is the very best prospecting you can do, um, but even if it weren't, 
even if it's not good prospecting to take care of your clients, you know what? It's your job. It's your number one duty, contrary to what the vast majority of real estate agents, trainers, and, and even other agents will tell you, your primary duty is not to prospect for new clients, but rather to take care of the clients you already have as your first priority, not an afterthought after your prospecting is done. Now, I'm pretty sure that when those prospect first proponents go on listing appointments, they don't share that prospect first philosophy with their potential clients. They certainly don't assure them that they will devote a whole 20% of their time to serving their clients and only 80% looking for new clients. No, they promise them the world in service, which implies they will actually spend some time providing that service. So anyway, I hope I'm preaching to the choir here, and I think I am, so I guess I'll step back off of that high horse and finish up talking about implementing your seller communication plan. So you've made your list of stuff you're going to do and communicate about. Now, if it isn't already, put all of the activities you came up with in order, starting from the first one you'll do on day one or before, up through that glorious day your listing goes under contract and you start heading for the closing table. So just put them in order according to the day that you'll do them. What you'll do the day you get the listing or the day after and the day after that and and um, the next day and then the next day and then the first day of the second week and you know onward. Now, if you have any current listings now, any current active listings, go ahead and implement your plan wherever you are in the process, although you'll probably want to backtrack a little bit if it makes sense to do so. So if you are a month into a listing, a month into your listing, that doesn't mean there aren't things that you could have done you know, the first week or two that you won't want to go back and do, um, just to kind of to, to amp that up, to ramp that up. And when you get new listings, just do it from day one. Now, of course, I believe that you should incorporate your seller communication plan into your transaction checklist that you already have for your active listings, and ideally, you're using your real estate-specific contact management system to remind you to do them. Or you can create a separate checklist specifically for your communication activities if you like. But the most important thing is that you do it and you have a system in place to make sure that you do it, even if it's just a simple paper checklist that you print out with every new listing and attach to the file. Okay? So I'm guessing you might like to hear a quick draft of a seller communication plan from start to finish. Well, I would too. Um, I actually meant to do that as part of this program, but with the hurricane coming, I got distracted. And when I was looking through my notes this morning, I remembered that I was going to do that, and it was too late to do it. So um, if enough of you send me an email and ask for a draft of a seller communication plan, I might be persuaded to put one together and send it out. Um, so sorry I didn't do that in time for the show. So let's see what questions you have for me. And we'll go from there and then get you all back about your day. So let me see what we have. Pam, how do you make the seller smile when they have decided on a price that's way too high and your showings are always bad news? How did I not think to show the seller the MLS and brochure? How do you make the seller smile when you have bad news? Um, well, I mean, I, I guess ideally you didn't take an overpriced listing to start with. And I'm not lecturing you, trust me. I'm, I mean, we've all done it and we will probably all continue to do it. But, you know, I mean, that's obviously the, the trick is to hit the ground running, to hit the ground with a, a listing that you, can, that you believe you can sell. That's a topic for a different day, but 
there is you know nothing in the listing experience more discouraging than having a listing you don't like that you don't feel like you can sell so do everything you can to avoid that feeling up front um, you know as far as if the only thing you have is bad news for your seller how do you how do you deliver that that's a good question um, I'd say you know look for some good news maybe you know something that you can at least share with them that's positive there's probably other overpriced crappy listings out there maybe you can go preview and and let them know but if they're not if they don't feel I mean keep in mind if they're happy with you and they don't feel that every time they hear from you you're lecturing or you're scolding or you're you're coming with bad news if they feel like you're on their team that you want their home to sell not just so that you get a paycheck but so that they can move on with their lives if you truly give the impression that you care about them I think they're going to be more open to your suggestions and you know what you might do I'm thinking out loud here but you might actually just be upfront and honest about this like say you know what I feel like every time I call you I have bad news I don't want you to dread phone calls from me I don't want you to dread hearing from me but I realize I'm just giving you blow after blow after blow but here's the thing we're overpriced we're you know we're this um, I don't know what else I can do but I want to do it if we can come up with a plan you know use the we the our the let's if I'm not the right agent for the job let's go find you the one who is I want your home to sell as badly as you do okay get pick yourself up from the side of the table where your adversaries and go sit down on the side of the table with them and say let's figure out what to do here I don't want to be the enemy how does that sound does that does that help at all let me know how that sounds I just made that up but it sounded good to me thank you very much for coming here today this was kind of a fun show for me to do I hope you enjoyed it and I hope that you know you might consider changing some some of your own business model I did get one comment from somebody who said I already do all of these things yes it's a long list but I already do these things are you telling me that other real estate agents don't and yes I'm telling you that other real estate agents don't so I did a show a year or two ago called um, above and beyond you know providing great service to your clients or, or something and the show turned out to be a very very basic list of things that real estate agents should be doing for their clients but most don't and so it was kind of a tease kind of a bait-and-switch of above and beyond so I think people were expecting these big flashy things they could do but it it wasn't it was very basic things you can do but most agents don't so anyway got off on a tangent there um, y'all go have yourselves a wonderful weekend those of you um, along the Gulf Coast or up the east you know the southeast um, let's all stay safe support each other and I appreciate everybody all right bye-bye